Hello and welcome to the Hunt High Carvers podcast with your hosts, Jason Hirsch and Joel Rayther, where we bring you everything from training tips to nutrition, as well as industry leaders and those from the field to better enhance your hunting experience. And now, without further ado, welcome our hosts, Jason and Joel. Welcome back to another episode of the H3O podcast. Uh, here with my co-host Joel Rather. I'm Jason Hirsch, and our special guest today, Brad Peterson. A what is your official title with Shields? Sorry, or your Shields. I'm a fishing pro staff ambassador. Fishing. Okay, and you're also an avid duck hunter. Yep. And it's duck hunting season. I think that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to get you in today was to talk a little bit about duck hunting, duck calling, um, ice fishing. You know, I think it's that time of year. It's, Damn it! Yeah, it hasn't uh, it hasn't quite frozen here in Denver yet. Um, no, and it's been more sweaty than cold. If you're looking at the forecast coming up for the next ten days, we've got two cold days, and everything else is ten degrees above average. I, yeah, so, I'm not holding my breath on being ice fishing locally before the first of the year. Yeah. Well, either way, we, let's touch on a bunch of that stuff and just kind of go go from there. So I guess we could start just kind of introduce yourself and. Um, what you do, what your specialties are, like how you got into all this stuff, yeah. and um, we can go from there. All right. Well, you know, I'm Brad Peterson. Like you said, I run Brad Peterson Outdoors. I've been in the fishing industry over 30 years now. Uh, started working when I was 16 for In Fisherman at Camp Fish up in Minnesota, yeah. and have done a variety of things between tournament fishing, guiding, running kids programs. Uh, managing properties. During the whole time, I've also been an avid waterfowl hunter. I helped start the Colorado State Duck and Goose Calling Championships and ran a bunch of programs doing that. Um, have competed in competition duck calling contests, uh, finished second a few times, won one. Nice. But uh, on average, you know, I try to get out a couple times a week at least in the duck line and chase those around and um, have hunted with a lot of the big names in the waterfowl industry. Tim Grounds, Kelly Powers, uh, Fred Zink, um, you kind of name the guys. If there's a duck call, basically, it's named after somebody you've, you've hunted with. Um, I hunted with or met most of them, yeah. Right. Um, maybe not as much the last 10 years. You know, there have been some newer, newer guys show up, but the ones that have been around a little bit longer, yeah. Right. I've been around with them and learned a lot from those guys. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a huge part of it, right? And I think maybe that's a good place to start, too, which is... You know, you mentioned starting at a really, you know, teenage years and whatever, which usually fuels fuels the fire. And, uh, you know, talk about that, uh, you know, maybe the progression of how did you decide that, okay, this is going to be not only a lifestyle, but potentially, you know, something that you'll do as, you know, your occupation. Um, well, I got into it through my dad. You know, my dad was an avid fisherman and an avid waterfowl hunter. So I started waterfowl hunting, gosh, probably when I was seven or eight. And I wasn't hunting, I was just going out with them. And you mentioned going to... You were, you were the retriever. <laughs> no, I wasn't as much the retriever. I, I think I was the weight of the sled. Oh, okay. You know, um, it was so young that uh, basically I rode on the sled out there at, at Gene K. Tool that you guys said you guys went and hunted recently. We used right. to go out there and uh, hunt a bunch of private or uh, public ground along the South Platte River. And then about when I got my hunter safety card, when I turned about 11 or 12, we joined a hunting club out there near Marino. Mm -hmm. And so we'd hunt practically every weekend out there. And um, 
and then we got some family land down around Platteville, and we hunt that area. And then, then on top of that, we've also, um, you know, I managed a few properties that had good waterfowl hunting, and then was added on to the state blue ribbon panel for the South Platte River duck hunting. And so that kind of, um, you know, how they manage that was something that I did for, gosh, that went on for about seven years there. But my introduction to waterfowl hunting and my real excitement came through my dad. And then through him and some of the contacts that he knew that were really good duck callers um, is where my passion for the calling and that side went. But by the time I was 16, you know, I wasn't playing sports or doing anything like that. Right. I was... You're on the river. I was headed to, you know, the water to fish right. or headed up to go hunting. You know, that yeah. that's where my passion was. And right. I started at a, a real young age. Yeah. How have you seen, I guess, from when you were a kid to, to now? I mean, has, has the landscape here in Colorado changed from, you know, waterfowl or even big game, small game, you know, all that stuff? Um, I would say the biggest thing is the front range corridor has been developed up so much with houses. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be you were at 120th and Thornton, and you had to go to Longmont to the 119 exit. There was a few houses there. Right. And then even at Highway 34, you didn't see anything. Mm -hmm. You had to go all the way up to Fort Collins. So there was a lot more land sure, yeah. to hunt. Uh, I will say Colorado's done a great job getting properties along the South Platte River that provide public opportunities. Right. Yeah. But with the more people, you know, you do have issues with crowding. Right. So I think the big key for successful waterfowl hunting is you just have to spend more time scouting and right. really knowing where you're going and where those little hot spots or out-of-the-way spots are so you don't end up with a ton of pressure around. Do you feel like the, the development has changed the migratory corridor? Like, has it pushed birds that would normally be flying down a certain a certain area and said, all right, there's houses here now. We're going to push further west or east or north or whatever it might be. You know, maybe a little bit, but not quite yet. Right. The next five to ten years, I think, is really going to shut that down. Um, there's still enough pockets of agriculture that are keeping, particularly the geese, along the front range. Right, yeah. There's always been a big water birds right along that front range corridor, mm -hmm. that Severance, Windsor, mm -hmm. Fort Collins area for geese. Then you go out to what they call the Golden Triangle, right. which is the Empire Reservoir, Jackson, Riverside area, sure. uh, Orchard. That's always had a lot of birds. And the one thing that's happened out a little further east that's changed stuff up is you have the power plant that came into existence. So that is now a warm water roost. Mm -hmm. But once you get past Merino, there's a lot more augmentation ponds, and they pump those during the winter months. So those stay open. Right. So a lot more ducks and birds have been pulled off the river bottom to those augmentation ponds as sure. they used to be. They used to be focused on that river bottom. Mm -hmm. But what that means is you need to target, if you're able to, those days where you have snowy conditions or windy weather, those ponds are usually out in the open right. and the birds don't want to be there and it's going to push them down yep. to the river bottom. And they're going to be there for a couple days. It'll take them a little while to kind of filter their way back to those ponds. So right. The, right before the front, probably the two days after, if you're able to target that, right. that's where you're going to have the most success. Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of geese, too, in, like, all the city parks down around Denver. And you can't touch those. 
Yeah, there's a there's a lot of them around Denver. Um, you need that like that shotgun that what do they call it the the one with the suppressor that you can use in the the uh, in the I, city. I, I, I forget know, what they call it, but I there's a special the name that, for it. I know the guy that developed it too. Yeah. But yeah, the 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 muzzle, the screw yeah. in muzzle is almost thirty inches long, <laughs> yeah. and it shoots subsonic ammunition. And yeah, it, yeah. it was designed for hunting around Minneapolis, St. Paul, okay. on the golf courses, so people uh, wouldn't hear right. it, yeah, yeah. and the pellets wouldn't go too far. Right. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's there's enough opportunities within the city that you wouldn't have to necessarily go. But obviously, there's a lot of people who'd be well, very upset. When I, when I worked at the University of Denver, our golf coach, and this has been, you know, over 10 years ago, he used to have access to a golf course where they would have a blind on it still. And, and they would go out and they would hunt on the golf course, geese. I'm in. And, uh, Can I, you I call this guy back? Um, it, probably not. So I don't have to but, wake up at 3 a.m. to, but, to uh, make a two-hour yeah, trip they, east? They used to go do that, and then they'd go to the clubhouse and have breakfast at it. <laughs> yeah, we, we never were quite that lucky. We had a spot right at the end of the runway at Centennial Airport, right next to the Broncos training facility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually, I wasn't there, but uh, John Elway is a big hunter. And mm-hmm. This is while he was playing. And he came up to those guys as they were coming out of the field one time and said, you guys are just brutal on me. He said, I'm out there practicing. <laughs> hearing, and, hearing the shots. And hearing the shots going off. And he said, it's the end of the season. Right. We know we're out of it. And you're you're out there hunting. And that wasn't Taunting too far. Me. Yeah, it wasn't too far from the golf course right there off of uh, Arapahoe Road. And like like Arthur in Inverness or whatever that area. Yep. And so the, the golf... Um, the pro there had dogs that he would run on the field mm-hmm. to get the geese to move. Right. And so you just had to know what time he was going to gotta run the dogs. Run the dogs <laughs> and the geese would come flying Blind up over. there. And yeah, yeah it, it made it a lot easier when you don't have to get up at 3 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, or you can just sit in a blind in, in comfort, right? Like yeah. you were telling stories about back in Ogallala. Yeah. Some of the yeah. uh, ridiculous blind sets. Like I've, I've hunted with you uh, on your dad's property. And that's a nice blind. I don't know. I remember if we had a heater in there or whatever. My, but it was like benches you could sit on. Or, oh, yeah. You know, you had the... the it wasn't benches. It was car seats. Well, all right. Close <laughs> enough. But it's not sitting on my butt on a piece of frozen, you know, tundra waiting for a duck to fly by while I'm freezing my butt off. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a little spoiled. bit of comfort there. Right. I, I was spoiled at an early age because I grew up, I grew up on McConaughey. Yeah. And so the west end of that lake is, you know, obviously a massive flyway and and so you can go from you know everywhere on that river all the way out to Llewellyn and Broadwater and out towards Sydney Nebraska and you know the birds are just infinite and so also is the the premium of the land that's along there and so of course growing up in a farming community I meet lots of my friends and you know they all had access and and they would put pits and blinds and things like that on on their properties and for me I was lucky enough that, you know, hey, we're going to go. You want to come? And, and you know, I was telling him, I had friends that. It's like a damn bunker with a full-on kitchen and bathroom. And yeah. Yeah, we had. Satellite TV so you can watch the Nebraska football game. Yeah, the shooting shooting deck was plexiglass. Back when it was worth watching. Yeah, right. right. The football game. <laughs> Side note, caveat. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they put a thermostat in there. So they, would, they had a 500-gallon propane tank buried outside the pit. So they would run heat in there the whole winter. And uh, you'd walk in there, turn the lights on, heat, or you were heated in there. I mean, I, 
I've heard of like luxury. I've heard of some that you know they have a bunkhouse in the back, and you can go back and bunk books and take a nap. And, oh yeah, yeah. We and, used to play cards, and the the losers had to watch for birds. <laughs> yeah, and, and so yeah, I've heard of blinds that they you know the guys sit out there and they have a light, a little switch, right, and it shuts off the white light and turns on a red light when the birds are coming in. So yeah. you get out of the bunkhouse. It's like a, like, a mil- like a military setup. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, that's. That's usually what I hear more from the guys down south. Um, now, there is one that was out near Orchard area that a guy by the name of Punchbone had that had electricity and all that. And Time out. Punchbone? Punchbone. Is that like, that's his legal name, or is that like a nickname? It's got to be a nickname. I think it's his nickname. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd be really interested to know where Punchbone comes from. Well, you actually, okay. his dad owned a bar on the west side of town and it was a bar where all the big fighters would come who came in and trained okay. and I mean I, I don't remember who I, but these are like the top of the top back when Ali and Frazier right, right, right. and all those people and so he had this land and I know um, I've heard stories he had Paul Harvey out there mm-hmm. oh, wow. um, and so you have to kind of look up the stories about him yeah, on the internet. I have to look up Punchboat and just see what, what it comes. He used out. to do he used to do real estate, but his Sounds hunting like stuff fan. and right. he was um, quite the character yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Well, I, with a name like Punchboat, I would assume that you're going to be a character. Right? Yes. You can't just be a normal dude with that kind of a nickname. No. Right. So, um, kind of moving back. So you know, you progressed. What 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 started your your guiding? Like like how how did that become? You know, does it was it a tag along thing? Was it something where you go? I think I'm gonna make a run at it. Like, how, how did how did that kind of come to fruition? Um, you know, it it started back in mid '90s when I started a nonprofit teaching kids and and families how to fish and hunt. And so the way it's the rules are in Colorado, if you charge anything for it, you have to have an outfitter's license. So I had to get my outfitter's license to do it, and it. It continued up until the time that uh, um, I got hired to manage a ranch for about 10 years. And then as I got out of that, I kind of came back to it. Um, but while I was at the, the ranch, you know, a lot of the people that came up there were up there to waterfowl hunt. And so I would definitely, you know, take them out. And right. You weren't, it was more taking people out hunting as opposed to guiding. Right. But, um it's just like, something I've always enjoyed. Go, had go over there and, and look that way, right? Like, yeah. You know, I'm not guiding. I'm just telling you where to go. Well, basically, the difference is is whether you're getting paid to officially guide or not. Sure. Yeah. So I was getting paid to manage the ranch. Right. Right. And part of my responsibilities was to take people out hunting. Right. I, no one was getting booked on a right, right, right. a hunt that they were paying for. Right. And so that's where the big difference comes in. Yeah. Um, and then I got back into it again. Like I say, about six, seven years ago, I kind of, maybe five, six years ago, I, I kind of started doing it again some more and just really had the enjoyment of spending time outdoors and doing that as opposed to, you know, about that same time, I had a couple of attorneys I know say, hey, you should go to law school and get a job, you know, we'll hire you. And right. I said, do I have to work in downtown Denver in a high-rise <laughs> building, or can I have a remote office? Right. And uh, they weren't too keen on a remote no, office. Not back, back then, then right? Now, now, now yeah. it may have changed. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. 
So, I mean, obviously, you're, I guess I should ask, did the fish come first or the ducks come first in your world? Because I know you're, you're like, you know, you're like the foremost authority on, on walleye fishing, um, you know, here in Colorado. And obviously you're, you're probably more busy during the fishing season than you are during the duck season. But was the duck just kind of like a, a winter filler, like just keep myself busy, get outdoors or was, is fishing still the primary um, probably the interest in fishing started at a younger age, okay. just because you can get kids out fishing. Yeah, it's at easy. a younger age. Drop a line. But I'd say they both were kind of equal in college. I probably was more into waterfowl hunting, right? Um, than I was into fishing. Just you know, I shoot. I had it one semester that I was done at noon on Thursday <laughs> and didn't have a class until three p.m. Yeah, on right. Monday, and I would leave and be at the hunting club and. Right. Hunt all weekend long, and and then Wednesday I didn't even have a class. Right. So you know I could be out all five day. days a week. I used to do we, when when I was in college. I went to to Kearney, Nebraska, and um, a friend of mine they had a mile of river ground, and we used to plan our schedule during hunting season so that we would have two mornings where we didn't have to be in class early, and we could be we could be out line twenty minutes, and we hunt two days a week, and 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 it, it would allow us to avoid, you know, the, the rush of Saturday and Sunday. Sure. Right. And if we wanted to go hunt on the weekend, we would, yeah. obviously. But our success, obviously, was way better knowing that we could go hunt on a Tuesday or a Thursday. Birds are probably going to decoy better. They're not getting flared around. They're not getting called at so much. And so, we, you know, we were fortunate that we were able to do that. I mean, we used to kill five, 600 ducks a year. Yeah, and that was probably back when the limit was still three. Um... I think it was five. Okay. I, 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 I think I think it was five then, but um, you know I know goose limits were three or two. Um, and we used to, we didn't have quite as much success goose hunting, but um, it was mainly just the way that, with which the river was set there. And we we ultimately started to uh, build another spot on that property where we would have more goose hunting success. But we had a warm water slough, so it was just I mean. Fish in a barrel. Yeah, when you can find those, <laughs> you know, that's not a look. If it's on public ground, that is not something you post on Facebook. <laughs> uh, no, no, that stays you out know. of the uh, the forums. There was no warm water slew at Gene K, just for viewers who are listening. <laughs> if you're going out there. Yeah, it's, uh, and those, those change year to year. Which yeah. ones are good, which ones aren't. Mm -hmm. And the river really changed back in 2013 when we had the flood. Mm -hmm. yeah. So people really have to go spend some time and figure out where all those spots are. Right. You, yeah. you have about a week before season opens up again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We're still on the we're yeah. still on the split. The, 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 the mid uh, mid break. 18th. It opens back up. But um, so you know, talking about the you know, obviously you've done a lot for development. You talked about um, you know things within Colorado, getting youth out, you know, and, and then you kind of mentioned the, the calling part, right? And even competition calling. And, and, you know, we notice this a lot like in the elk hunting side too, right? Which is, there's a big difference between calling for those competition. Those who can and those who can't. Yeah. And uh, I know a good uh, a friend of mine I was mentioning, like he, he's the guy that would reach over and go, like other guys they, in the field, just right? for, for reference, I get told that a lot. <laughs> Not with the elk, but with with the duck. Yeah, now, I'm I, better on the goose calls, but apparently my duck calls sucks. I I have been guilty of, you know, 
taking one guy and saying, you know what, your call's a little pitchy. Let me see. I'll, I'll tune that up for you. I'm going to use that. I'll tune that up for you. Yeah. And I grabbed it, and yeah. I pitched it into the river. Yeah. <laughs> and I told him if he went to grab it, I could shoot it before he could get to it. <laughs> so somewhere, there is an old duck call that floated down to Flatville. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably stuck in a log jam somewhere. Right, yeah. right. That's hilarious. So. Yeah, I'm not, apparently I'm not very good at it. I think I sound amazing. But that's we you know, we, we did that the, we did vet that process. This is the, the uh, like uh, resident professional, the American Idol thing, like where people go in there and think they sound amazing, and the <laughs> judges are like, "Yeah, never sing again." <laughs> <laughs> so talk talk a little bit about that because I I think, and I think this is this is really common, especially with duck calling. People just assume like, ah, just you know, make noise, right? And right there, there's just. There's so much more to it in terms of, of tone, in terms of working birds, in terms of, you know, just a lot of nuance. Like, talk a little bit about that and, you know, uh, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll get into making some noise, too. Yeah, I mean, duck calls, goose calls are very easy. They're designed to make just a few sounds. Yeah, that's what I'm good at. <laughs> and, 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 and they all are pretty much the same. Uh, you've got two styles. You've got a flute style and a short read style. The short read came from one guy, um, Charlie Hess. I think he was out of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Um, And he created it because his son broke a flute call and they were out hunting and they were trying to figure out how to make a call work that would still come up with the sound. I I heard the story from Tim Grounds, who was then kind of the first person to mass produce the short read calls. Now, you know, the short read is pretty much the name of the game. That's what everyone's making. But a duck call is much more of a musical instrument. And it takes a lot more science because depending on the diameter of the mouthpiece, the insert, the curvature on the sounding board, the length of the reed, it all varies. And so there are some duck calls that just... They're not good. No matter what you do, you're not No matter what you do, they, they aren't designed right. right. Well, I think and there's a lot about that, too, where, you know, the average guy can go into your Shields or your Cabela's or whatever, and they're like, ah, 20 bucks, I'll take it, right? right? And it, it's like a lot of things that you buy as a consumer, like, you typically get what you pay for. Right. Right. And, and that's a lot of what it is. And who really understands how to make duck calls? Um and, and it's it's few and far between. I mean, back in the day, there probably was about five or six guys that really understood how to make duck calls, right. and I would say three of them learned from one guy. Sure, right. Um, and so it takes more to understand how to be really proficient on a duck call than on a goose call. You can get someone sounding like the honk of a goose mm-hmm. in a couple minutes. Sure. Maybe... A few more for a tall fellow in here. <laughs> but duck calls, it, it takes a lot more air control and understanding that. Mm-hmm. So if I'm telling someone to go look for a duck call, what I would tell them to look for is a double read to start out. Mm-hmm. Because a double read, that second read is helping add that rasp, rasp sound mm-hmm. to the call. A single read duck call, you have to impart that rasp on the call. Mm-hmm. And so it takes you're able to make a wider range of sounds, but it takes a lot more operator control to make that work. Right. Whereas a double read, you probably get 80% of the sound range of a single read. Mm-hmm. But 
you don't have to be quite as skilled of an operator to get that 80%. Right. And you were asking about like contest calling and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Contest calling, I use every sound they make in a contest call in certain hunting situations. Right. You know, used to hunt Milton Reservoir, which was out, um, it's out mm -hmm. east of Platteville, private lake. Mm -hmm. And um, Milton's a mile and a half long. Well, the ringing contest call, people a mile and a half away could hear it over the water. Right. So I could get birds' attentions sure. that other people couldn't. Right. But if you're down in a wooded, you know, river bottom, you don't want to make that sound because it's going to echo all over the place. Right. Yeah. So what really the contest duck and goose calling is more trying to show is who's the best operator of the call and can operate it at the highest and the lowest Ranges. end of the spectrum. Sure. And do as many different sounds out of that call without making a mistake or what they call scratching. Yeah. And, and that's, so do most people blow contest routines out on the water? No. Um, are almost all contest callers good hunting callers? I would say as long as they know how to read birds, they are. Sure. Yeah. You know, they're going to be your better ones out there or the guys who know how to blow a contest routine. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the other part of it too. I think that, um, and, you know, maybe Jason can even speak to this, too. Like, there's I have no idea how to blow a contest call. Well, no, I, I get that. But talking about, like, reading birds, right? Like, so, you know, from that, that perspective, right, which, you know, in relative terms, right, I would say, you know, obviously your experience, you know, far, far supersedes what, you know, my experience would be even and obviously would then, you know, supersede what, what Jason's experience is. In By a long shot. By a long shot, right? But, you know, I've now... You know, waterfowl hunted for probably you know roughly 30 years and and so the things that you see the way that you watch birds and stuff like that talk about maybe some of the things that you know we we hunt public land right like we you know, have good fortunate times to get into some some private and, and some a uh, little bit more premium land which obviously changes the game quite a bit but talk about the the public land hunter and the mistakes that you see a lot of guys make in terms of some of those things, right? Overcalling, not reading birds, you know, stuff like that. Because I think success and failures a lot of times come from the guys that, you know, they see a flock and they're just wailing away right away and, and not understanding, like, how, how are you going to improve your success in a really difficult, you know, very challenging circumstance of being on public ground where there's usually quite a few guys that have been out there or what have you that uh, that could change your your you know your fate one way or the other okay well i'm going to talk the public river bottom in colorado okay because we could go on forever if we'd start talking lakes and ponds and all that sure so the south Platte river for those of you that don't know is a fairly shallow river a lot of the times you can cross it knee-high boots yep yep if as the reservoir stop filling you know it can get higher but the prime time is when it's at that lower level or finding those lower areas that have good sandbars. Mm -hmm. The first mistake I think people make, if you can't go out and scout the birds, it's picking an area that has quiet water. But the biggest mistake people make is they pick the area that looks the best, but they can't hide themselves good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So it's making sure you've got an adequate hide 
using typically natural vegetation or combining some logs together and right, right. maybe putting a little bit of camouflage mesh in there uh, to fill it in. But the concealment factor, so those birds don't see you. Yep. When they get a lot of hunting pressure, most of the people aren't concealing themselves as well. So it's going to make the difference of getting those birds from 50 yards to 20 yards. Mm -hmm. yep. So that's the first thing people can do, and that takes no skill in learning how to call right. or anything like that. Labor. It's 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 labor and putting a little you know legwork out there and, and figure that out. Right. The second thing is your decoy placement and the number of decoys on most of the public ground. Two dozen duck decoys is like my what I would say is your worst number you can put out there because that's the most common size spread they're going to see. Yep. Most people that go out have about somewhere between eighteen and maybe thirty decoys. So either go a little bit on the smaller side so that you look a little bit different than everyone else or bring yourself and your three buddies and load up bags and make it look like it's the best refuge they've ever right. seen. Yeah. You know, yeah. go to the two opposite ends of the extreme. Right. Exactly. So when you say decoys, are you talking duck and goose or are you just talking I'm talking just duck decoys here. Yeah, goose is completely different. Yeah. Now, I like to mix in some goose decoys when I'm out on that river. Mm -hmm. um, shells are real easy to do. A dozen shells gives you an opportunity at a goose. Geese are real hard to come to call in if they don't see any other geese in the area. Yep. And even six goose decoys work. Um, and one trick you can do is if you take uh, pipe insulation, mm -hmm. like you would use um, you know, in your house, mm -hmm. put it along the bottom edge of a couple of goose decoys, that will cause them to become floaters. Uh, and so you don't have to spend like all the effort you know, you drill a little hole in the front end, attach a little cord to it, a little weight, and they're going to move real easy because mm -hmm. it's just that little foam piece floating. That's right. a trick I've never heard. Yeah, but it works. I guess we're going to go buy some pool noodles. I'm stealing <laughs> yeah. that right there. That's awesome. Yeah, but, but the nice thing about the, the pipe insulation is it's black. Yeah. You just put it right up there. It's got the sticky side to it. It'll hold right on there. And it doesn't add a whole lot of weight like carrying the true floater right, right, yeah. to get out to these sure. areas. The next thing I would tell people is have, you know, the nice thing with the river is you already have some movement. So vary up the length of your decoy cords because by doing that, the decoys are going to move differently along the current. Yeah. If they're all the exact same length, it's going to look like a bunch of wooden exactly. soldiers moving the exact same right. distance. So vary your, you know, your length of cord up. And usually I'll hook See. one or two per dozen backwards just because it's going to give you a different look and how often do you see a duck floating down the river right, you right. Know, or something like that. So these are things you can do without even you know working on your duck calling. So those so things... Basically, you're just trying to set the plate yep. before you ever blow a reed. Yep. Set the table to make it look as appetizing as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Then I would say the next big key is... When ducks are flying the river, and it kind of depends where they are, but typically, you know, they're flying parallel to the river, up or down the stream. It is really hard to get ducks to turn around once they've passed you. So you need to try to be in an area that you can spot them before they're going to get to them and at least get their attention. And they may not come in right away, but at least you're going to break them up and 
and stop the routine that they're flying on. Yeah. You know, change that wing beat a little bit and make them at least give you a look. Sure. If you can do that, that's going to help you get a lot more birds in. If you're waiting to call till they've all passed you, you're you probably have a chance at maybe 20 to 30 percent of your ducks. Right. Is all. Yeah. Sitting and, there, like hair in the call, like come back, come back. It, We're here. It works uh, at times. Yeah. Um, but it also takes more skill to operate a comeback call mm-hmm. yeah. versus just your basic duck calls. So if you're able to just get them to, to pay attention on the basic stuff, you don't have to be quite as skilled. And you hammer that comeback call all day long, and you're cheeksing. It's going to feel <laughs> oh, yeah. like you did an ab workout right. if you're blowing a duck call oh, up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, those are the tips that I kind of give people. It used to be that robo-ducks were absolutely amazing. Um, I think they have their time and place. I think they're better more middle of the day on sunny days to catch the bird's attention. But the one thing I would say is if you're going to buy one, get one with a remote. Yeah, I was just just thinking that. So that you can turn it off, turn it on, um, and you don't have to go out and stand in the water. And I like one that's got the intermittent setting. Mm -hmm. So it'll go for a few seconds and then stop and then go for a few more seconds. That will... um, You're wanting to catch the bird's attention with that. I think any more... Unless they're new birds, a lot of people have one robo duck, mm-hmm. so use it sparingly. But it's not something I would say you need to leave in your truck and don't bring out with you. Right, right. It's yeah. still an effective tool, but it's got to be used right. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when that first you know kind of hit the market, and it was unbelievable. Right, like it was a game changer because all of a sudden. You flip that thing on, and birds would be, you know, you could catch birds flying 100 miles an hour down the river, and they see those wings flapping, and, you know. Right. And but like you said, it's it's also become conditioned. Yeah. As well, now if every single set of decoys or every single you know group that they see fly over has one of those in there, two of those in there. Well, guess what? Over time, it, it's going to dull its effect as well. Yeah, the one spot that it still has maintained its effectiveness is if you get an opportunity to hunt in a field. Yeah. Field hunting, you need to have that mm-hmm. to get the attention of the birds. Right. And realistically, the more the merrier. But uh, several of those will really help those birds in the field kind of focus in on where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's the one spot that... It's like your American Express card. Don't leave home without it if you're going to a field. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Because it is really hard to call ducks in if you don't have that type of motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a consistent basis. Right. Yeah. For sure. All right. So we've got the setup. Mm-hmm. We know what it looks like. Now how we call them in. What are, what are the mistakes? What are the rookie mistakes that I'm making? Because it's just me. Because Joel's the perfect duck caller. Obviously. Um, <laughs> And, and I'm surprised that my, my call has not been thrown in the river yet, to be honest with you. He, um, he hasn't thought about but that here's one the, <laughs> But here's the thing. So just let's sidetrack here for two seconds. When I have blown my duck call, as bad as they this say... Is, this is anecdotally, mind you. As bad as they say it sounds, ducks, for whatever reason, continue to show up. That's what he said. Like, and maybe this is because we were on the public or on the private ground when we were doing this. But I'm just saying is that when I blew that thing, guys showed up. 
When everybody else blew theirs, nothing else showed up. That's so not true. Maybe I'm hitting a new pitch or frequency that uh, that's going to revolutionize notice, the industry. Notice I'm laughing. Every other guy <laughs> in the line is laughing as well at the same right. time every time he says this. So, but um, I'm just saying is that when I blew it, they showed up. I, I, I have to, you know, it's one of the correlation things, right? Like it, it happens. There's can't deny it every single time. You know, there are miracles that happen all the time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a bunch of college hockey players can beat Russia. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> uh, well, you've never heard me duck call. We, yeah, can, we, can, we can bet that out, right? Yeah, now. let's. Um, <laughs> but all right, let's go back to So I said, what are the, the, the rookie mistakes? Obviously, you said that by waiting for them to go past your setup, it's too late. Right. Like, so, all right, so I'm sitting in my, our blind, I'm well concealed. Got my setup. I can see some ducks coming down the river. Okay. Let's just say they're a quarter mile away. What's what's the play? Okay. There's two different ways when you see those ducks. Um, if you see the ducks and they're already cupped up coming into you, Leave them just don't do anything. Swallow don't your change. Right. Yeah. If you start calling to them, don't overcall them and try to. A lot of people down in the Arkansas say kind of call them on the corners. So so get their attention and then call them when they're not right over top of you real heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, the one thing that I learned from Tim Grounds when it came to duck calling and goose calling was they're just, when you find out the sound, that that bird that makes the first look at you mm-hmm. changes the wing beat, the head changes. You know, that's the bird you're wanting to try to call to. Sure. So you're trying to read that bird, find that bird out of the group, and then do whatever keeps that bird interested. Yeah. And keep repeating it as long as you keep that bird interested and working properly. Uh, And so, but don't just, you know, if you're calling hard and they get close, don't completely shut up. Mm -hmm. Ducks just don't do that, you know, in nature. Mm -hmm. But... Just like if they're real quiet, don't when they're at 80 yards and they're cupped up coming in, decide to pick up the duck call and start blowing because the ducks are going to go, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. What all of a sudden changed everything down there? Sure, yeah. So I would say that's probably the biggest mistake people make. And, and the, the thing that once you learn how to operate a duck call, the biggest thing for people to learn is how to read the birds mm-hmm. and that doesn't come there's not videos you can watch right. there's not a youtube it's a, channel it's a real about world it. experience it's getting out and experiencing it mm-hmm. firsthand and mm-hmm. you know different species of birds take a different amount of calling mm-hmm. yeah so that's that's where the real challenge comes in as far as it's it's hard to just to say what what the mistakes people make are, but I would say stay basic initially. Don't try to go wild and crazy beyond your skill level. Right. Um, when you do that is when you have a day that the ducks are all over the place or you've already thrown out everything, including the kitchen sink, and so right. what do you have to lose? That's, that's when Jason gets the call. Right. Well, so, I mean, you brought your lanyard in here, and you've got 75 duck calls on it, right? I'm assuming each one's got its own tone, 
or characteristic to it. Like if I'm a beginner, like I, I bought a duckcommander.com off you know, some website, right? Like it's a very basic one, but the difference, you know, obviously you get higher caliber ones, and but they all have different sounds to them, right? Like if I'm a beginner, what is like, what, what's a good, well-rounded kind of type of call that I'm looking for? All right, like we said before, you're looking for a double read. Hopefully you can see that there's two reads there. There's the upper read and then the, the lower read there that's going to make the sound. Right. All right. That's the first thing I'm going to look for. I'm going to look for what's called a J-frame call, mm -hmm. which is like this with a wedge. Mm -hmm. If you looked at your duck commander call, the reeds go in, they're riveted together, mm -hmm. and then it just has a piece of, of stopper above. Right. It doesn't lock everything in when the call's apart. Mm -hmm. Now, I want this because you're able to tune a call a lot more right. when you have this, whereas kind of the Duck Commander style, you know, I, I've hunted with Phil and, and Willie and, and Jace, and the Duck Commander style works very well, but my personal take is, is I enjoy the J-Ray, J-Frame style a lot more because it allows me to make adjustments and, and make it sound better. Right. So that's what I'm going to say is look for a, a double read call. Don't go with an acrylic. Calls come basically in four materials. This is kind of polycarbonate, which is plastic. Right. All right. Wood mm -hmm. and then acrylic. Acrylic is your hardest material, mm -hmm. which means there's, and plastic being your softest. The plastic or polycarbonate will kind of absorb some of those fringe sounds and, and mellow stuff out a little bit. Acrylic is going to put out exactly what you put in. Mm -hmm. So if you're not sounding exactly right, right, you know, it, it's like... It's unforgiving. Uh, it's unforgiving at all. Right. You know, Eddie Van Halen could play a guitar that's just slightly out of tune. Right. But if anyone else puts it up there... Right. They would sound awful. They would sound absolutely awful. And so, or you I, would go, your ear would go, something's not right there. Yeah. And that's what the ducks are doing. Exactly. So I would say go with a double read. Um, this call right here is the Tipping Around Sweet Meat. It is a call that he made, put a wood barrel on this as an echo insert. Um, echo and rich in tone. If you go to the World Duck Calling Contest, those two brands of calls have won more than anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, Butch Richenbach, who started um, Rich and Tone, you know, he's the one that has taught tons of people how to make duck calls. And so those two both come out of Arkansas. They're both good quality calls. Um, <clears throat> Buck Gardner makes some other good calls. Um, and, and there's there's a lot of different manufacturers, but you can find usually an Echo or a rich and tone type polycarbonate call. Again, this is Tim's call is using an echo insert. I bet you there's at least five to six different call manufacturers that use this exact insert. Gotcha. Something that Rick did when he created this, it's just, it's the perfect mold. So then, and we're gonna be trying this out. We're gonna see if it actually works with the <laughs> microphones. Sure. Um, the next big key is how you hold a duck call. Duck call is a one-handed operation, and you do not use a glove. A glove will absorb the sound, so 
this column, this hand, whichever hand, right or left, needs to be exposed. Right. So make sure you got a good pocket. If you get cold, have a hand warmer in there, whatever. Sure. You take the insert of the call, you put it in the crotch of your hand, and you wrap your fingers around, kind of like you've got a, a uh, let's say a, here. <laughs> a tutorial. Let's say a racquetball or a, a tennis ball. Right. Curl it up even more. So what that's doing is it's kind of creating a sound chamber, but it's also creating a little bit of back pressure. Gotcha. All right. Then you're going to put the call to your lips like you're drinking out of a pop bottle. So to the bottom lip Coke and then up. For, uh, for those who are not from the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> you would. Soda, pop. What, or a Dr. Pepper bottle for those sure, from yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah, Texas boys got to get the Dr. Yeah, Pepper in there. All right. So... And then put it tight, and you're going to squeeze your lips on the side tight. Mm -hmm. Now what you need to do is you need to use warm air. Not cold air. Not cold air. So I'm going to explain the difference. Hopefully you can I'll follow it along. Don't worry. Right. I'm going to be putting steps down. So, yeah. so Show notes. So cold air is like you'd blow to cool off soup. Like yeah, okay. From so your you, lungs. That's right. what I've been trying to get him to understand. Yeah. Warm you, air you need from the belly. Comes from the diaphragm, and the best way I can describe it is it's like you're trying to fog a mirror. Yeah. Or fog your glasses. Sure. It it comes <sighs> from deeper. Yeah, it's it's more of a diaphragm sound. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the air you want to be giving to make a duck call sound properly. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go in there. You're going to use your tongue needs to hit the back of the your front teeth mm -hmm. to cut off your note. And a lot of people will use different sounds like uh, gack, wit, um, yeah. quack. Mm -hmm. um, gack is the one that I've used. And you want to make sure that your tongue slaps the back of your front teeth really hard to cut that note off. If you're not cutting it off, it kind of sounds like you're blowing a kazoo. You hear a lot of that. I've heard that, that before. There. I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you're trying to make sure that each note is separate. Okay. So when you do it, it's going to kind of sound like, and you hear that hard end right. on it. That's what you need to make sure you're slapping that tongue against your teeth and just completely cutting the air off there. Right. All right, so put the lips up here. Here we go. Here we go. Moment of truth. This is amazing. I'm excited. And so what you're going to say is, is gap. <laughs> like there's a, there's something going on down in there. That, guttural. Yeah, that is definitely guttural. So it's gack, right? Gack. Without moving my lips. You're trying to put too much guttural into it. Yeah. It's it's more yeah. with air pressure. So to get that that raspiness, you're controlling your air and you want to pop it to get the reed to start going. Right. Open your hand up a little. Okay. You're still not cutting it off quite. There you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. So, yeah, that, that's like a, 
It's almost like yeah. your teeth are slapping. Yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. You have no idea how much you're helping me right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're here. We're this, learning. This is awesome. So it. that's your basic quack. Now okay. you were doing them a little bit on the shorter end. Okay. Okay. So you you want to make sure on a quack by itself, it's not real short because that's the warning sound of a of a mallard hen. So you want to just extend that out a little now bit. I see why you didn't want me to. <laughs> <laughs> Open your hands up just a little. You're not cutting it off again. There you go. There you go. You're you're getting it better there. Right. So that's your basic quack. Okay. If you know how to quack, you're going to be able to do a basic greeting call, which is a five-note series, and it's basically a step down. The first one is the loudest and the longest, and then you just step down a little bit softer and shorter, and just do five notes. It doesn't have to be exactly five, but it's it's the one you hear at the park. Yeah, you know, yeah. most of the time. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Yep. Yeah, and so that, that's like they're laughing you, at you. Yes, which they do when you're calling. They do. Well, when, <laughs> when my fellow hunters in the blind are laughing at me, the ducks are laughing at me. It, it sounds like you're real entertaining with this call. I I tell you, I, I love duck hunting, right? I, I don't know what it is about being cold and wet and, and being <laughs> on the river. I just love it. But it's got to be fun. Like, you can't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs. We have a good time. So, I mean, that's what I like. I mean, it's, it's, it's better for me than, like, big game hunting because I, I can talk, right? And I, I don't have to be quiet and whisper all the time. There's two things I love about waterfall hunting. One is the social aspect of it mm-hmm. i guess there's three parts there's the show, social aspect there's the dog work and to me i like something that's challenging and it's the challenge of bringing those birds to you you're right. not going and chasing them you're right. bringing them to you so yeah. you created a situation sure with your decoys that looked real that your blind was concealed enough that they didn't see you and you sounded realistic enough to bring them to you. That this is the same argument I have, or the same logic I have when I go fly fishing. If I have tied a fly, I have mimicked a creature in nature, and I have thrown it in the water and mimicked that creature in its habitat, and I'm tricking an animal into eating that fly, and then I'm catching like that. That whole process to me is the challenge. Right. And that's what I love about it. Like even when we go elk hunting, like if I can sound like an elk, and that elk sounds back to me and goes. I don't like that guy. I'm going to go fight him. Then, like, that's the exciting part of it. Yeah. And that, that's the reason I prefer archery elk hunting over rifle hunting. But there's, right. there's a different set of skills to each and, you know, yeah. to each kind of your own yeah. personal sure. taste. 100%. So, so let's hear, let's hear your... Let's your, do a greeting call, which is going to be a five-note series. And so what I'm doing is... To get that longer note, I'm going, yeah, and you have to hold that A. The, mm-hmm. the, the G at the beginning is what gets the call to go in that rasp. Mm-hmm. The A, uh, you know, the, the A uh in the middle yeah. is how you just keep the length, and then the K at the end is what ends it. So you can make that middle portion as long as you want. Let's just, let me do one real quick. <laughs> Whoop, that was not it.
You're back to blowing. Yeah. Yeah. No. You're you're still keeping it real short. Just okay. do okay. Let's extend just your crack. Just do a gack. You're you're not popping it enough at the beginning. Closer there. There you go. There it is. Nope, that's that, not it. That you blew in. There you go. There you go. All right. Now you see how you could now even extend that even out even further. There you go. Okay. Now that's that's too long for a normal quack. Right. But if you but start, I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to get the mechanics of it. Right. That's what we're trying to do is get sure. you the basic mechanics. So now, if you're doing like a greeting call, you have that longer one right. on the first one, and then start stepping down. Right. So try to. Stepping down, obviously, I wasn't. Okay, what you did on that, you're doing kind of a little pickup at the beginning. You're kind of doing yak. Right. Instead of just gack. hammering. Yep. Like, right. Then, the first note you cut off with the k, mm -hmm. and the rest only on ga, 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 ga. You never cut the notes off. Mm -hmm. They each need to sound like an individual note. Gotcha. And it just takes some practice to get that. Right. And, and more than anything, we, we clearly don't have enough time on this podcast. But, yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is hearing when you're doing it right and doing it wrong yeah. and being able to realize that to your own ear. Right. Okay. Now, if you just get the quack down, the second thing, if you can do a, a feed chuckle, those two things will put you, if you can make the quack sound right and you can do a proper food chuckle, you're probably doing better See what than I, most people that are out there. What I tell Joel is I can roll my R's. I can but I can't do the 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 way like he's really good at it. The you know like that part, but it's like the, the you control. Sound really good like a the control press, right? Like okay. that. Yeah, I, I don't use much that, better at it. I don't use that food chuckle much at all. Mm -hmm. That's that's more of a sound that you hear when ducks are flying over top. That real machine gun food chuckle. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to teach you a real easy way to do it. Okay. You have kids. I do. At some point in time, you baby talk to them. Yes. That's all you need to do into your dog. I also have a dog, and I baby talk to him, so. I, I don't want to know <laughs> anything more about that. Oh, Mickey Fluffy. But if you just do goo goo, gaga, gee gee, that will give you kind of the basics of a food chuckle. <laughs> And then you just vary your hand up to change the tone of yeah. it and it's do the speed. Great. So so just do the, you're blowing. It's not coming from that. You're, you're trying to, you're trying to create. Yeah, I'm trying, that's why, that's why I'm mix. trying to, like, instead of no, roll my go, R's. Go. Distinct on the end. Yeah. That's. You're, you're blowing. Your, mm -hmm. your air's coming from up here. Right. Get lower. I need to go. When you get done duck calling, it should feel like you just did 100 sit-ups on a long day of duck calling. I don't know if you've seen that there ain't no sit-ups going into this body. I know. That's the reason. So it should, I, I do. That's I why do, it's okay. I do tick. Yeah. Tick, you can do. Yeah, you can do ticket, 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 and, yeah. and roll it like that. Yeah. But realistically, that's a sound you hear more as ducks are flying around yeah. than the food chuckle on the ground. 
right? Yeah. And it's a lot easier for people to learn the basics, the, the baby talk. Mm -hmm. yeah. And again, I learned this from a guy named um, it's Keith Allen, and he, he had a, a thing called the Refuge Man, and he did a CD with all duck call sounds, and it sounded like a duck refuge from the the sounds he was producing out of his duck call. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, but so what you want to do? Is it easier to like try and like like it without a call in your mouth? Like try and figure out how to create that no. diaphragmic sound? No, because you'll never know the result. Right. So, cup your hands a little tighter. Okay. okay. Now just go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So that's that. I was doing goo goo. Mm -hmm. Now do ga ga. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, that's you, you, yeah. you had a little bit more practice and you'll right. get you had you were a half step apart right. sound wise. If you get a step apart, it sounds like two completely different. Right. And then you can just do like, you know, goo goo, ga ga, gee gee. Right. You know, but it's the it's the <laughs> you're trying to put too much throat in <laughs> You do it. So I can because if I hear if I hear it, I can just do the first two notes because if you, if I can hear it, I can do it. Yeah, dude. You're blowing. Yeah. There, that's getting closer. Your hands are too cupped down on there. You're no, now blowing. blowing, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's like a yeah, like that sound, like like I'm in a disco, right? I go. Yeah. Right. There you go, yeah. right there. There you yeah, go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Then I just got to do it a lot. So yeah, and, and you can just. You can bury your hands yeah. up. You just need to make sure that you don't cut it off too much. Yeah. Right. Because then Cause it's you go. good. Right. That's the exact same amount of air pressure, same right. column. Right. And, and, you, and you heard how much how varied the sound is. Sure. There. Sure. Yeah. You know, and one of the things you can do when you're out calling, if you don't you don't feel comfortable making a couple different duck sounds. Mm -hmm. You go <laughs> blow into your sleeve. Right. Well, it's, it's like what we do with, with, with an elk call, yeah. right? It's the same thing with an elk call. I'm blowing here and then I'm cupping and going over there and cupping and going over there. And, yeah. Exactly. And that, that can make one duck call sound like multiple ducks. Right. Right. Well, I think that that's the other part of it too is, is I know, like I, I've always said that, you know, that there is some simplicity in it too right, right. Like, like is as much as you can really you know dig into minutiae of, of some of the stuff that you just went through <clears throat> like you said if you can find two right like two two things which is that you know goo goo gaga and you know doing just a, a basic quack and then you just work your way into can you can you slowly connect Right, like and you said, into that that welcome. The one thing to understand is the quack, depending on your call, is going to be heard at a distance. Okay, the food chuckle is a hundred yards max on a calm day. So, that's something you use when the ducks are close mm -hmm. to keep them interested. Um, but you have to use that quack at a distance to get their attention. Yeah, that that food chuckle sound just doesn't carry real well. Right. Yeah. And so just figuring out how to make a, a good, solid quack that's a little louder, and you can just keep going quack, 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 quack. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, 
you've been to little parks. Yeah. A lot of times, that's all you hear going on. Yeah. You don't have to be that's too. Why I want to hunt there. <laughs> yeah, so. you, you don't have to be too extravagant with it. Yeah. But, you know, for me, um, the other thing I would tell you with, you know, let's take this as just a single read call. With a single read call that uses a cork insert, and this one I put a new cork in in September. Okay. I probably need to replace this because it's going to be flat. Like so the tone will be flat. The tone will be flat because it's lost some of its resistance. Mm -hmm. And that's why having, you know, kind of a plastic insert of some sort in here, right. that will hold its shape a lot longer, and you don't have to worry about that flatness coming in. Mm -hmm. So when you start going with, like, a single reed call like this, it takes a lot more being able to tune the instrument. Sure. And, and it becomes a little more challenging. Mm -hmm. And I carry this mainly for where I hunt right now, down on the river bottom, to carry it for real windy days. Yeah. It's windy days, your sound doesn't carry as far. A loud acrylic call, single read. You know, I know that downwind, I'm I'm going three quarters of a mile probably, maybe a mile with that call. I mean, it's it's not a super super loud one. Right. Um, but upwind, whereas a normal duck call, they might only hear you seventy five hundred yards. Right. I could get two three hundred yards, four hundred yards up with that loud. Mm -hmm. call and so just having all these calls it's a it's just having part of the toolbox but you can see the one that's my favorite right there i've got two of them right yeah just in case something happens to it you got yeah, backup. backup backup and the other tip for people coming up on late duck season once you're done blowing your call it always needs to go inside your coat that will Keep it from freezing up. Freezing up. Yeah, I've had that happening. Yeah, I'm sitting there trying to like, like trying to blow it out, stick my finger down in there, trying to loosen the reeds up. Right. Yeah. And so if you keep it, and that's why I have two. One's always for sure. Right. In the coat. Um, but that that's the one other mistake I'd say people make. You gotta keep the chew spit moist. <laughs> yeah, make sure that you aren't. If you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it's creamy. You start putting chunky down there and get a piece of peanut stuck yeah, between those reeds. Yeah, yeah. Not good. You're done. Yeah, yeah. not good. Um, so talk about um, you know, and you hear this a lot. You talk to guys that that have guided and things like that. You know, there's the pluses and minuses, right? Like, what are the things that are most enjoyable to you, and what do you? What are the things that you know make a tough day on the river? Um. I really enjoy working with people that want to learn something yeah. because we're dealing with wild animals. I have no control over whether the birds decide to fly, yeah. whether they've migrated down or not, yeah. you know, whether the fish decide to bite that day. Um, you know, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees. You do everything in your power to make that happen. Yeah. But someone who comes with an attitude that they want to learn how to do something, mm -hmm. they always walk away happy. happy and having something that they've received from their trip. Right. Yeah. You know, and those are the type of people that are going to be successful down the road because you're learning from the experienced people. Right. Well, Joel's very happy that you taught me how to do that because, and I'm very happy as well because now noticed, I've got a new toolbox. I also noticed you have a cork insert in there. Yeah, I just took that off and I saw that. Yeah. And so, 
you probably need to go to a. Uh, you this is brand, this is literally brand new. I think it came out two days ago. Okay, then that one's good. But uh, what you do when you do that is sometimes the call manufacturers will send you extra cords. If not, you can go down to a, a train store. Mm -hmm. Like uh, a hobby, hobby, like a hobby store. Hobby store. I say it while my wine cooks. And and pick that cork up. But when you put the cork in, you want to put it in your mouth, chew it for a while, get it moist and a little softer, and it'll fit in there tighter. Right. And then yeah, as it dries out, it'll harden up. And so that's it. But you know, I love seeing people, new people into the sport, sharing information. Yeah. But just being out there and getting to see some of the things when you're out there yeah. every day. You experience things that you know very few people will. Whether it's a a big fish or the last duck hunt I had, you know, we had a guy hit a teal, and it was it was wounded and it went up on the sandbar across. And mm -hmm. they shot a couple more times to try and get it, and uh, it went into a bunch of weeds. And I was about to send my dog out over it. Here comes a hawk from the tree, comes down. Hops in the weeds, gets the teal to jump out of there, grabs the teal, and flies off with it. Ha! Really? You don't see that anymore. No. no. That's cool, though. Yeah. You know, and so you see some things like that that are just... Um, so you have to remind your uh, your hunters that you can't shoot the hawk. Yeah. yeah. That is not a duck. Yeah, that right. a federal crime. <laughs> I actually sent a message to one of my friends who was a game warden, and I said, you know... What's the bag limit right. for a hawk taking my ducks? Because right. once he's over, I'm calling and turning him into Operation Game <laughs> uh, That's funny. And so I'm sure you enjoyed that. Yeah, he, he had a pretty good chuckle out of that one. Yeah. Um, if I was of the younger generation, I would have grabbed my phone and recorded. Of it. course. Right. But you know, I'm just like, ooh, this it would have been cool. on Instagram or Nature is Metal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It would have been, exactly. uh, been on one of those accounts already. Yeah. So. Um, but I think that's a lot of what it is, is what really attracts me to the outdoors is every day is different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're taking the past knowledge that you have and utilizing that to make the best decision you can on that given day. Mm -hmm. But there's almost no two days that are exactly the same. Yeah. You know, whether you're fly fishing on a stream and maybe the flow changes before CFS is on. Yep. It changes stuff up. Mm -hmm. Maybe all of a sudden a new bug starts hatching that day. Yep. And the fly that you caught every fish on, you caught 20 fish, you thought you were the top dog on the river the day before. Right. And something else starts hatching, and you can't buy a fish on your fly. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and that's the, the fun lots part. Of, lots of days like that. You know, and I, I learned, I, I've heard a story from Al Linder when he was fishing bass tournaments real early in the BASS year. Mm -hmm. And he fished. I think it was down in Missouri or Arkansas somewhere. But he was fishing a tournament, and he had caught two or three fish, and he came up with the take of, you know, man, it was tough. The fish just weren't biting me. And he went to the weigh-in, and this is back in the day when you bring your fish in on a stringer. Yeah. Right. And Bill Dance had a stringer of, like, 15 fish. Yeah. And just blew everyone out of the water. Right. And it wasn't that the fish weren't biting. They weren't biting what he was throwing. Exactly. Yeah. You just didn't figure out what was going on. Right, yeah. That's one of the good things I like about fishing is because you know the fish are in the water. Right. It's a matter of convincing them. Sure. Yeah. Duck hunting, we do have to rely a little bit on our northern birds coming down to yeah. us. Right. So when those birds aren't there, you really have to spend your time. You know, this year on the river, 
the migration and stuff freezing up hasn't been normal. Right. It's been way behind. So you really have had to find those spot on the spots, those sweet spots on the river. Mm-hmm. And you still can have some success or pick the days when it was windy mm-hmm. or, or a cloudy day. Something like that that changed it up just a little bit. Right. If you just went to your favorite spot and you said, the weekend before Thanksgiving, I can always go here and there's sure. always ducks. Well, the weekend before Thanksgiving, all the ponds are normally frozen. Right. So you go to your favorite spot and you don't see any birds. It's not your favorite spot anymore. You know, it, <laughs> well, it wasn't the fact. I do that uh, with fishing all the, all the time. I, I, you know, oh, I always catch fish here. Yeah. Guaranteed. You, fish you show there and you're like, well, the fish must not, must not be here today. You're fishing memories. Yeah. And, and so. I'm a creature of habit. It wasn't that, you know, you picked a bad spot. You just pick the wrong time to be in that right. spot. Sure. And so the error kind of falls back on you if you're if you're an outdoorsman who really evaluates, okay, what yeah. went wrong? Well, I'm stubborn. That's what went wrong. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. I, I, I have a, a pattern that I fall into, and if it doesn't work, then I just I throw my hands up. It's not like, yeah. And I've been better about that as I've gotten older and wiser and realized, like, hey, I'm not going to sit here and beat the water for, you know, the next five hours in the same hole, like, I'm going to walk down the river until I find an area where something is working. Right. Fish are biting, right? They're swimming, they're feeding, whatever it might be. It's the same thing with ducks, right? Like we can yeah. be, you know, we do this with elk too, right? It's like, you know, we get locked into we're camping here and this is where we're hunting. Yeah. Well, there's no elk here. We're camping here and we're hunting here, right? Regardless of whether there's elk here or not, this yeah. is where we're camping. And so we've gotten a little bit wiser to the fact that, you know what, we need to be a little bit more mobile. And be willing to kind of go outside those comfort zones because if they're not here, we got to go find them again. Can't make them be there. Yeah, well, and I think that's what separates some of the really skilled anglers and hunters versus your casual. Mm-hmm. When I'm going to hunt a spot, a lot of times I don't. I know what area I'm going to the night before. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's a piece of public ground. Sure. I don't know what spot I'm going to hunt until I get there and see what the weather's doing. Mm-hmm. I may know that there's four spots in here, but you know, two of them with an east wind are just terrible. And if you have your heart set to hunt one of those spots, you go out there and don't even think about what direction the wind is right. until you set up. And yeah, then you sit in there the and first you go, half hour, oh crap, the wind's the wrong way. Yeah, the first half hour, you go, why isn't it working? And then all of a sudden you look and you go, the wind changed on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and fishing's the same way. And I learned... You know, a lot of that, I, I also fish a lot of walleye tournaments. And, you know, I get people that Tuesday pre-fishing for a tournament that starts on Saturday, like, we got it all figured out. Saturday. And, and it's like, right. okay, well, well, Tuesday was sunny and warm. Right. We have a cold front that's coming in, and we're supposed to be cloudy and windy on Saturday and Sunday. What you learned Tuesday was the general area the fish are in. Right. If you try to go fish for those fish... More than likely, you know, you're going to struggle for that day. Right. They're, they're not going to be there or be not bite where they did right. four days ago. Yeah. And, and you have to be, you know, willing to make those decisions and make changes on the fly. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to fishing. I think right. that, that makes a big difference on fishing. Right. Um, but waterfowl hunting, goose hunting, when you go set out a big spread on a pit, mm-hmm. you're not going to go pack it all up and right. go somewhere else. But you know what? You may all of a sudden go, 
we need to change the way to spread that. Sure. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We used to do that all the time. And you, you got to understand how how that is not just, you know, it's not just a portrait to the ducks and geese. It's also a presentation. Yeah. And the way with which they're going to, if you're lucky enough for them to, to decoy or, or start to, how they're going to actually decide to move their way into that spread. Yeah. Right. And, and guys do that all the time where they, you know, just go out and just randomly throw out decoys and we just we could talk a whole other podcast about that like there's there's some know-how to to that as well and you could set them up entirely wrong and guess what they land outside of that they're out of range right all these other things that again are experience related understand like you said the wind and and those things become small little trinkets of success or failure in in your hunt yeah and it it makes a big difference like you say on the success or the failure you know those little mm-hmm. details the people that are consistently successful are paying attention to those little details. Mm-hmm. You know, be it archery elk hunting. I know you guys like to archery elk hunt. Yep. Okay. The guys who really understand how much moisture is in the woods and really understand their area, on a wet year, the elk are going to be in a completely different spot mm-hmm. than on a dry year. Yep. And you have to really know your area. And you know what? Guys also may say, this spot's good when it's wet. I've gotten over the counter tag. I need to be 200 miles away when it's dry. Yeah. Because that's the area I know for hunting in dry conditions. Sure. Right. I haven't figured out where these elk go when it's dry. Mm-hmm. But I know if it's wet, this is my spot to go. Right. Yeah. And those guys, you sit there and go, why all of a sudden did you pick to go that way? And they're like, oh, because I, you know, went up scouting and I noticed that, you know, these two wallows that they always use were dry. Right. Okay. On those years, I go, I go down further away and hunt that area because it it I understand it better right for sure and and I think that's one of the big things people are learning because we have so many people that are new to fishing and hunting particularly with COVID Mm -hmm. you know COVID brought a lot of people maybe maybe not that they've never done it before but but now they had an excuse to go do it well but maybe they did it with their grandpa when they were growing up sure you know when they were real young and then they didn't do it through their 20s and 30s. Now they have some kids. They were looking for something to do when COVID was here. Let's go back fishing. Mm-hmm. But what's changed for that amount of time? Well, there's a lot of learning curve right? Yeah. to get caught back up. And I think one of the things us as outdoorsmen do that is a challenge for the new people coming in is we make it seem so complicated. Yep. Yeah. You know. When it comes to baseball, a pitcher, the second day, you don't teach someone how to throw a curveball. Right. It's, you know, it's how do you basically throw the ball? Mm-hmm. How do you hit the target? Right. How do you hold it? You know, but too often I think we we try to tell everyone that, oh, you have to be doing all this stuff right. to be successful. Right. Walk before you run, mm-hmm. just like with the duck calling. Learn how to quack. Right. Before you start doing all the real fancy stuff. Yeah, for if sure. If you learn how to quack, you learn how to food chuckle, mm-hmm. you're better than 50% of the people out hunting public ground right yeah. now. Um, we talk about that with a lot of things, right? Which is just become really good at simple things. Yeah. Right? And if you can do that, you don't have to over overcomplicate it, right? And guess what? Your odds of success are going to go up, right? Yeah. And and like you said, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer the same way, right? Like, how many days have you had where you're like, Today's probably the best bet. 
let's not call someone out, yeah. right? And, and allow the birds to make decisions and just maybe give them just enough direction, let them do the rest. Like I can remember an old boy that we used to goose hunt with and, you know, we're young and ambitious and all this and we'd, you know, see geese coming off the refuge and stuff like that. Guys are wailing away and old boy in the corner goes, they're getting here as fast as they can. Right. <laughs> right. Like stuff like that. And you go, oh, so you mean like if we just keep hammering away, they're not going to hurry up. Right. It's like things like that where, you know, you can simplify stuff and, and really improve where if you, if you don't get in your own way, sometimes it, it will yield better results. Right. Now, I will say I almost always start calling to the first couple bunch of ducks. See how they react. Yeah. And then that's going to tell you a lot. But there's times that after the third, fourth bunch, fourth bunch, you're like, they don't want to be called to. Right. So let's do yeah, other things. Shut up. Yeah. Let's let them do this on their own. Yeah. If, if they want to do it on their own, you know, I can't screw that up nearly as bad as you can when you're calling <laughs> Right. Exactly. You know, everything you add that you're doing yeah. is more of an opportunity for you to mess it up. Sure. Yeah. Well, tell people how they can find you. Obviously, um, you know, we could talk, I think, for hours and hours, and, and there's a lot of avenues we can go with this, but where do people find you and, and how to maybe either book a hunt with you or, or learn more? I know you do a lot of, of other things like with Shields, and, and I've heard you on various podcasts. I know you do some radio. Just kind of give people a, a way of, of finding you and, and maybe picking your brain more or hearing more about You it. can find me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors. Um, you could give me a call, shoot me a text at 303-829-3998. Um, I'm at Shields. We just finished the ice fishing event. There will be a spring fishing event coming up. Um, so I do a lot of stuff up there. Pay attention to the Johnstown Shields location. Yeah. Um, and then I'm on Terry Wickstrom Outdoor Radio Show. Yeah. And that's typically about every other or every third week um, I'm on there. Terry usually has a lot of great experts that are up to date with the information. Um, you know, you're getting people that have been out in the field that week and are giving you yeah. that straight information. Whereas, you know, a lot of the other places you go, you might be getting two week old information. Sure. So, yeah. um, going back to what we just talked about, that, yep. that may be expired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, those are probably the best ways to get a hold of awesome. me. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge. I appreciate you teaching me how to duck call. Right. So I, I, want, I want to see pictures. Yeah, of birds that you actually called in. Yeah, well, like I say, we're going to walk before we run, so yeah, I'm going to have yeah. to go home and practice, yeah, and uh, I might have to pick okay. up and attend. Okay, uh, you're talking about practicing. To keep your kids and your significant other happy. I do it in the car. Okay, you can do it in the car. The other thing is do it into a closet that's open and blow into the clothes. Okay. It The sound gets absorbed by all the clothes, all right. so it doesn't go around the whole house. There you go. My dog, I gotta get my dog used to hearing it so that when I eventually take him out, maybe he'll actually go get something for me. (laughs) There you go. Instead of sleeping down here on the floor for the last two hours. Awesome. Well, we'll uh, we'll definitely, you know, like I said, I'd love to have you come back. I mean, I think we just scratched the surface. Be happy um, to. Yeah, it's been. We have to go out and shoot some ducks. Is what we're gonna have to do. Yeah, I need some real world experience. Right. So that we can videotape it, so I can show you that I can duck call. (laughs) You're gonna be proud of me. Okay, I'm counting on it. <laughs> Can I leave so, my calls at home? Yeah, you, please exactly. do not. Absolutely. <laughs> Worst so, case, I'll just mouth call them. Right. So, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. Um, everybody, please go check out Brad and, and uh, all the great things that he's always providing. And I know, you, you know you're you such a steward for the outdoorsman as well, which is 
you know, I think always part of what we love about the industry, right, is guys are so willing to share all of their their history of, of, and wealth of knowledge. And um, I picked up some things today where I'm like, oh, that's a really, really great idea. And so um, thank you. He's going to pitch your call. Right. Thank, thank you for that. Yeah, I, for I'm going to leave it on the lanyard and I'm going <laughs> to stick it in my pocket so he can't right. touch it. So, but um, thank you guys for tuning in today. Yeah. And uh, we'll look forward to doing it again. And uh, be sure to, to check out Brad, and we'll see you next time. Goody, goody. Thanks again for joining us on today's Hunt, Hike, Harvest podcast. We appreciate you tuning in, and we look forward to having you visit us again in future episodes. In the meantime, follow us on all of our social media outlets on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as subscribe and like our YouTube page at Hunt, Hike, Harvest Outdoors, or H3 Outdoors. Have an interesting topic, someone you'd like to see on our podcast, or a current trend that you see in the field that you'd like to see us cover? Email us at hunthikeharvest at gmail.com, and maybe your questions will be answered in a future episode. Until next time, thanks again for joining us. We wish you all the best in your outdoor adventures, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Happy hunting.